Welcome to the podcast of Lancaster Brethren in Christ Church, located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. LBIC is a community being transformed by the love of Jesus, sharing this love with all people. We want this podcast to be an extension of our community and a connection with familiar voices. Together, we want to think about how to follow Jesus in our particular moment. So enjoy the podcast. We're grateful to have you join us as a part of the LBIC family. None of that really changed throughout my childhood. I was, I was pretty, pretty lonely. I was one of those kids, I hated lunch because I was like, who do I sit with this week or this day? Um, never knew who I was going to sit with. I had one good friend throughout high school. His name was Dave. Uh, but I always felt like I was on the outside um, looking in. And I, I share this because of what we're going to be talking about this morning. I know what it's like to be on the outside looking in. Sometimes I actually still feel that way. Um, this happens for people for all sorts of, of reasons. If it's not social awkwardness or some, like in my case, some things that growing up happened to me influenced my personality, I think, uh, in, that, in that direction. But some people feel like outsiders because of the color of their skin. Some people feel like outsiders because of their financial situation or where they come from in an economic bracket. Some people uh, feel like an outsider just from where you've grown up, uh, perhaps. Um, I, I, I don't share any of these things for pity because, as my children will tell you, I'm really cool now. <laughs> my children frequently remind me how uncool I am. Although I did. This is, oh, he's going to kill me. The other, the other week, I was like, hey, Connor, I'm trying out sweatshirts with sweaters now. And he, he's like, oh, that's cool. And then he wore one. <laughs> anyway, sorry, buddy, you're not here anyway to defend yourself, so that's okay. I, I, I share this outside-in sort of perspective this morning uh, because this runs through our scriptures today. We're talking about one of the central things that the gospel does is create a new people. Uh, the formation of a new people is actually something that is central to the gospel, and it's, it's usually something that's pretty downplayed. Most of us have been taught that, or the way that we talk about the gospel is that it's the good news of what Jesus has done for us to forgive us of our sins, free us from sin, and, and then uh, give us eternal life. But it's, it's actually quite a lot bigger than that. And one of the components of the gospel itself is the formation of a new people. Like, what we do here, week in and week out, is actually gospel. It's the formation of a a new people. And I believe that our participation in a church isn't isn't so you guys can come, get a good nugget, go home, and and do your own thing uh, in, in your own individual faith, but I believe that the participation in church is for the purpose of creating new communities that bear witness through G- to Jesus through our worship together and through our work together. I just want to say that one more time, that our participation in a church, it's not for just our individual selves, for our individual growth in faith, but it's for the purpose of creating new communities that bear witness to Jesus through our worship and through our work together. Um, because we're a liturgical light uh, kind of church, and this, is, this, this graphic will be up here every new start of new season because we kind of need reminded of, of the, the different themes of the Christian year. Uh, but yesterday was the, the day of Epiphany, and so we're in the season of Epiphany that follows Christmas. 
And Epiphany is the season of how God is revealed, not just to the Jewish people, but to the whole world. And so uh, one of the core gospel stories is the Magi from the East coming uh, to see Jesus. And as you see in, in the graphic, Epiphany is the theme of the next few weeks that will lead us into the season of Lent. And so we have this time when Jesus comes to the time of, of, of Lent uh, that focuses on the cross, that focuses on how God reveals God's self to the world through the person of Jesus. Uh, we go through the Christian year like this because it helps us to pay attention to different parts of the story. If we didn't do this, we might get hung up on you know, different themes or stuck in different places, but we use the lectionary, we use the liturgical in the Christian year because it helps us discipline ourselves to focus on different aspects of the faith. And so we could say that Epiphany helps us focus on the revelation of God through Christ to the world. Or we could say it like this, it's the revelation of God through Christ, through the church, in the midst of and to the world. It, it's in your bulletins, there's this um, two sayings of Jesus that kind of summarize epiphany. One, it's saying, I am the light of the world. This is what Jesus says, I am the light of the world. It focuses on Christ's revelation of, of who God is to the world. I am the light of the world, but it also says you are the light of the world. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. It is descriptive of the church. So it's saying two things, that one, Jesus is the revelation of who God is to the world, and it's also saying that you, the church, we, the church, are the revelation of who God is to the world. We are the light of the world. So we're going to look at two passages of scripture this morning, Isaiah chapter 60 and then Ephesians chapter 3. And that's still working, so you can follow along. Just so you know, new stuff is on order. This kind of thing is like on its last leg. We don't know from week to week if it's going to work. We're just hoping. Um, but we'll get that fixed in as soon as we can. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 7. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people's. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. <clears throat> Excuse me. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To the riches of the nation will come. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah. And all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. All Kedar's flocks will get, be gathered to you. The rams of Neboeth will serve you. They will be accepted as offerings on my altar and will adorn my glorious temple. Another reading from Ephesians chapter 3 that is going to sound very different, but these two things do go together. Verses 1 through 13, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. <clears throat> that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit 
to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was now through the church, the manifold, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. In him and through him, in faith, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. So there are two challenges in both of these passages that are important for us to understand that provide some context to, to how, the, kind of the, the power behind these two passages of Scripture. Now, the language in Isaiah's passage is incredibly encouraging. Arise and shine, for the light has come to you, Israel. People are going to come, and gifts are going to come, riches are going to come, money's going to come, peace is going to come. It all sounds really, really, really good. But then we need to consider the context into which these words are coming to the people of Israel. This is at the end of their exile, and so they're no longer in Babylon, but they've come back to their home country. And what they find is a place that is in ruins. All the city's walls are torn down. The temple is destroyed. There's nothing there that uh, is, is any resemblance of what was formerly there. And so into the midst of them standing in the midst of all of this rubble and all of this ruin come these kind of idyllic words, arise, shine, for the light has come in the midst of all of this destruction. And so the words of the prophet seem pretty improbable. They had just spent, uh, if, if you look at Israel and Judah's history, over the last several hundred years before this period of time, there had been countries that just kind of went in and out uh, and, and used them kind of as a, as a pathway to warfare in that surrounding area. And so armies from Syria, armies from Egypt, armies from Assyria, armies from Babylon would just traipse through their country and, and, and kind of use their country to position themselves in, in warfare and strategically towards other people. And so there was warfare that was going on around them all the time. And that was before they were in exile. They, they, they just, there was tension. And I think this is important for us to understand and it's helpful for us to understand. All around them, all around the, the, the land of the people of God, there was chaos. There was chaos all in that region of, of, of the world at that time. And so they had these decisions that they had to make. How were they going to survive all the chaos and all the potential warfare that was going on around them? How were they going to deal with all the threats to their nation and them as a people? And God's message to them and God's hope for them was to say, trust me. But what they did instead and what sent them into exile eventually was, no, I'm going to trust in treaties. I'm going to make a treaty and alliance with so-and-so. Then this, you know, puts... Um, 
Israel into captivity in, in Assyria, and then eventually Judah, the same thing in Babylon. And so instead of trusting God, they give in to the ways and they join the ways of the chaos that's going on around them when God is really asking them to center themselves, trusting God in the midst of all the chaos that's going around them. I think that says maybe something to us too in our time as the world experienced similar things. So in the midst of all of that history, the prophet comes along and, and is saying, nations now, instead of traipsing through you and taking advantage of you, they're going to come streaming to you, and they're going to be bringing you riches. They're not going to carry your riches off. They're going to bring you riches. The mention of camels is kind of weird maybe to us, but that's a symbol of peace. It's not war horses, but camels are a symbol of peace, and there's apparently plenty of camels. Um, and all of these words are coming to them while it's in ruins. I love what one commentator says. Uh, they, They said that God gives them a vision of what will be so they can go about their work with this vision in mind. God gives them a vision of what will be. I think this, this is descriptive both for Israel and their time and also for, for our time. God gives us visions of what will be so we can go about the work of our time with this vision in mind. So in the context of Israel, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah will follow and they'll lead in rebuilding with, with all of these kinds of words in mind. So that's what's going on in Isaiah. In, in relation to Ephesians, uh, the main thrust of what Paul is saying here is the inclusion of the Gentiles. And so this is what we read about in Isaiah chapter 60, what we just read about, is the nations are going to be streaming to them. Gentiles are going to be streaming to them. And this is Paul's message too, is that the Gentiles will be included. Now, it's very hard for us to understand uh, how complex this is, but for them to oversimplify, for the Jewish people, there was either you were Jewish, you were part of God's people, or you were Gentile, and that kind of encompassed everybody else and their religions and their different gods. Throughout the scriptures, we read that God makes room for Gentiles. This is not a New Testament concept. This goes along throughout the Old Testament. It's just something that the people never really grabbed onto. They looked at themselves as exclusive rather than inclusive. And so uh, the Gentiles were, were really ones to be kept at bay, kept on the outside, even though through the laws that God gave God's people, there was room for the assimilation or, or the bringing in of Gentiles to become a part of God's people. Part of the reason for the exclusion of the Gentiles was how Israel understood their chosenness. Now, when we think about chosenness, we think of chosenness as, as something or somebody who's special, right? We think of chosenness as in an exclusive way. You're chosen, but you're not, right? (laughs) It's kind of like me in gym class in high school. You're chosen, you're not, right? This is like therapy for me this morning, so, you know, whatever. So the Gentiles were the non-chosen ones, and Israel, um, even though room was made and instructions were given, that their chosenness wasn't for their own sake, for exclusive purposes, that is how it was treated. And this is how many people think about chosenness today, especially even um, in, in the context of faith. When you think people are chosen, you think they're something special, or we use language of chosenness as something special. But that's not... God's understanding or God's purpose for chosenness. 
As we look throughout the Bible, God chooses people not because they're special, because God <laughs> reminds Israel quite frequently, you're, you're not better than other people. I just chose you, but that doesn't make you special. That means I have something for you to do. And so when we think about chosenness in the Bible, it's not so much that one person is more special than another. When a person is chosen, it means they've been given a purpose. There is something for them to do. It's almost a greater responsibility because God has given it for them to do, for the people to do. And so it's not, when we think about chosenness in the Bible, it's not for the purpose of exclusivity, but it's for the sake of others. People are, are chosen for the sake of others. Israel was chosen because God had something for them to do for the sake of others. And this is what, uh, the, the, or this is the mystery that Paul talks about in the passage in Ephesians. The mystery is this, um, that uh, first, well, the mystery uh, that Paul's talking about, we could say a few things. First, we could say that our thoughts on mystery and what Paul's talking about are very different. I'm talking a lot about my childhood this morning, but I read the Hardy Boys in, in my, anybody else? All 85 volumes, right? I don't know why. I, I knew every volume what Frank and Joe were gonna do but I still read it anyway. Anyway, so I loved mysteries as a kid. I, I like mysteries. I like mystery movies and those kinds of things. But this isn't the kind of mystery that Paul's talking about. When we think of mystery, um, we think of solving a puzzle. We think of something that's dark and mysterious, and we have to figure it out. And once we figure it out, we've, we've taken power or, or maintained power over it. And so when a detective solves a case or when a scientist figures out a problem or whatever, they've conquered it and they've discovered the mystery. They have power over the mystery. They figured it out. This is not the kind of mystery that Paul talks about, though. Uh, the Greek word mysterion means something different. It's not a closed uh, secret. Um, it's not a closely guarded secret. It's not something that you have to figure out, which is kind of weird. When you think about mystery and you think about spirituality or faith, you think, oh, we have to figure this thing out. That's not the way that Paul is using mystery. It means open secret, open secret, or a truth into which someone has been initiated. And so it's not something that you have to figure out. It is something that is being revealed. It's not something that you have to discover. It's something that you receive. We search for God who is beyond all of our knowing. And so God is mystery. But we don't find God because we pick up on all the right clues. We find God because God reveals God's self to us. God pulls back the curtains. God opens your minds, your hearts, our minds, and our hearts. And, uh, and I think many of us have had this experience before in our lives where there is a moment where a new understanding happens, whether it's of God or of life, when God kind of pulls back the curtain, whether that's an understanding of yourself or of God or how life works or what faith is supposed to be. Whatever it is, there is a new understanding that comes about. But it's, it's and, you know, as, as somebody who reads and thinks a lot about faith, I read and think a lot, but I feel like I discover little. Because when I actually do discover something, it's not because I've worked hard, although I think that, uh, I mean, that prepares me, but it, it's more, it comes from the other end. 
It's because God opens the door or opens my eyes or opens my heart to understand something in a new way. And that's the mystery and that's the, that, that's the way that God works with mystery. God reveals, God helps us to receive. This is how Paul describes the mystery in verse, in verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Heirs together, members together of one body, shares together in the promise that is Christ Jesus. This is, this is where it's helpful, again, to think of all the ways that you or I might have experienced being an outsider. Uh, because it's really hard for us to understand the revolutionary nature of Jews and Gentiles coming together. We just, it, we're, we're so far removed from that cultural um, mindset that it's hard for us to understand how revolutionary that is. But it's one of those things, the inclusion of the Gentiles or the mentioning of those two bodies of people coming together was so radical at that time in Luke chapter 4 that they want to throw Jesus off a cliff because of it. And so it's a pretty extreme sort of notion, the bringing together of these two people. This is important as Paul, not only in Paul, but in the life of the church, the inclusion of the Gentiles. It's an important moment in the history of the life of God's people because historically the Jewish people had been a theocracy. A theocracy meaning that their government, their structure, their nation was all under and subservient to God. But this is beyond any nation. And this is what part of the gospel is, the good news is. It's not just a nation. This is for an entire people. Theocracies were exclusive. You were either a natural-born citizen or you weren't. And so there were, again, ways in the Old Testament for that to happen for Gentiles. Uh, but they were still considered outsiders. It was never like they were one, they were the same. But here, what Paul is saying is something different It's revolutionary. They're not just welcomed in. Gentiles aren't just welcomed in to being part of the people of God. They are co-heirs. They are co-members. They are co-sharers in the promise that is Christ Jesus. So there's an equality where before there wasn't an equality. Verses 8 and 9, Paul writes, This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. The boundless riches of Christ that Paul talks about here, it's, it's not just the, the, the personal salvation that we experience. Yes, that's part of it. But if we stop there, we're missing a significant part of what it, it means to get caught up and to receive the boundless riches of Christ. Because the boundless riches of Christ is how God is bringing together and is reconciling two historically opposed groups of people into a new community under the lordship of Jesus. We could take it a step further and say that the gospel is not limited to a message of personal salvation and freedom from sin and and just having to do with eternal life. But it is also, and as importantly, the creation of a new community. Whereas Paul says elsewhere, there is no longer Jew, nor Greek, nor slave, nor free, 
male or female, but all are in Christ Jesus. Have you guys ever thought of that? You know, we talk about the gospel. What is the gospel? Some people think about what is the gospel, and most people would describe it in terms of, well, this is what Jesus did. Jesus came. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. If we believe in him, we'll we'll be saved and we'll have eternal life. And all those things are true. But again, it's like a small slice of a huge pie. Have you ever thought that what you're a part of the church that you're part of is gospel too. That the creation of, of this community of faith, the local communities of faith throughout the world, that that is gospel too. Do you know how amazing it is to get together different groups of people, whether it be different ideologies, different thought processes, different politics, God help us all, uh, different races and ethnicities, all, different economics. Where else... What other thing is there in the world that brings, that, whose goal it is to bring all these different kinds of people together as, as part of its mission? That just doesn't happen. Right? We want them, we want people to think like us and act like us. And it, our, our world is very exclusive because our world wants to maintain power over one another. But not in the church. In the church, we're called to serve one another. We're called to understand one another, to love one another. Throughout the global church, I had breakfast with uh, Joseph and Naro yesterday, the pastors of Hospital Church and Streams of Life, and we're super different, y'all. Like, our churches are really, really different. And we're going to worship together sometime in the next several months. I haven't talked to you guys about that yet, but we're going to do it. Um, <laughs> announcement. Um, but, you know, how we think about things and, and how we think about God is so different, but so good, so good. And I needed to hear from them, and I, I, I think I have something to offer them too. But, you know, th- there's a church that's ministering primarily to people of African descent who have come here as refugees, Streams of Life and Pastor Joseph. There's a church who, there's two vans full from, um, oh, darn it, what is the name? It's in Raresburg. It's a recovery place. Teen Challenge. There's a uh, hospital church has two vans full from Teen Challenge that come down every Saturday night, and as well as people from Lancaster all over the place coming here, right? And I, I shared with with them like what what I feel like our, our the ministry that's happening in, in our church, providing places and spaces and safe spaces for people to ask questions about faith providing a place for, for people who have had, you know, I'm talking a lot about the goodness of the church today, but a lot of us in here haven't had great experiences with the church. But you're here. Thank you. Right? And so we need all of these different kinds of expressions and experiences, different cultures, different, different modes and ways of worship. We need all of this. Because God is forming, and there's, while there's diversity amongst all this, there's also continuity. There's continuity because Christ continues to be central, and Christ continues to call us to himself in every expression, no matter what expression that is. And so I don't know if you've ever thought about it, and, and the idea kind of struck me this way, uh, or this week, um, and it's probably one of the things that I'm carrying with me from, from the text this week, but the thought that the church itself is gospel. The church itself is meant to be good news. 
as we participate in life together. We're bearing witness to the world of a different way of being a community. Paul says so as, as much in verses 10 and 11. He says, the oneness, this oneness, um, or I'm sorry, it says in verse 10, his intent was now through the church, through the church, friends, through you, through, through this gathering, through, through the 435 other churches in Lancaster County this morning or sometime this weekend. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is kind of cryptic language, but I think the simplest way to say it is this. That God's plan of salvation is not just heavenly, but it's very earthy and earthly. Earthly in the sense that it is the work of the church in creating a new community under the lordship of Jesus that bears witness to the kingdoms of earth and heaven. Just as Christ was God's epiphany to the world, friends, the church is meant to be the epiphany of Christ to the world. Thinking about the church in in this way almost feels like the prophet's words to Israel, right? Arise, shine, for the lights come upon you, you who are sitting in rubble and ruins. It feels very idealistic uh, to say these things, um, that the church bears witness to a new community under the lordship of Jesus, reveals and bears this witness to the world. And, and like Israel, we, we might say, but have you seen this place? Like you look over at the scope of the church and you, you might think, oh, like this place too, just like Israel and Jerusalem was, this place seems to be in ruins. You know, talking about the church's gospel might seem for some of us as, as super idealistic because the church for some of us hasn't been this kind of new community. But here's the thing. Yes, we need to acknowledge that and we'll forever acknowledge that the church has failed to do what the church is called to do. We need to continually acknowledge that. I think it's, it's a posture of humility um, that is good. But does the failure of churches or pastors or followers of Jesus stop us, friends, from becoming and pursuing a beloved community reflected in different cultures and traditions and personalities and perspectives? I don't think so. It, it, you, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because the church messes up with some degree of frequency, that doesn't mean that the, the calling that Jesus has, the hopes that Jesus has for the church changes. That just means we continue to press in and try hard together by the grace that God gives us. We keep working at it. We keep wrestling with it. We keep striving to be the best that we can, a gospel people. Where we're not just preaching about it and telling people about it, but we're actually embodying it and being a new community together. One of the, one of the, the, the primary reason, one of the primary reasons um, I, I love and believe in the church isn't, is, is not because I'm a pastor. I'm actually a, a pastor, and, and I think I'm a follower of Jesus because of the church. Because when I was a kid, 
And my parents were separated. And I was just the awkward kid. Every Sunday, John and Anna Ruth Kibler would smile at me and know my name and, and say hi with smiles on their faces. Esther Snyder would do the same thing. This manor brother in Christ down um, wherever that is, manor. And, and there would be people who would just show kind of like when I entered into the church, I felt that it was a safe place. And when I entered into youth group, that was a little different. But, you know, I, I was once held up, hung up by my belt buckle on a coat thing. That was by a youth leader, Jonathan Bowman. Don't try that. Um, but it didn't scar me, so it's okay. But, but then, as, as, as I got older, I found this group of friends who, who were actually my peers. And the difference was, with them, was that they were centered on Jesus. Imperfectly, as teenagers, as we all were then, you know, but they were centered on Jesus, and they provided me a space and what I found in my community with them, as, as people who had Jesus as the center, as opposed to all the places that I tried to fit in, was so extremely different. I, felt, I found a belonging that I had never known before. And then that, that helped me say yes to not only Jesus, but yes to his church, yes to doing this with my life. And over the course of time, like the communities that I've been a part of that have surrounded me have contributed so much to my, have, have in some ways sustained me. Now, yes, like I said before, there's some parts of the community over the years that have hurt me. But the love's been better than the hurt. And the people who've loved well have been more numerous than the people who've hurt. The hurt just hurts, right? When I talk to Brian or Jane, I say, when I think of our kids that go out of here in droves on a Sunday morning, my hope for them is that when they enter this place and they leave this place, they just know they're loved. Friends, our life together is gospel. Can be gospel, it can be good news. Our life together as a, as a church family, and this isn't exclusive at all, because as we, as we love one another, <laughs> there's always room for one more kind of shoulder in the, in the hug, so to speak, right? As we love one another, we are continually seeking to bring in others to our community of faith. Because the way that we love one another and what we do together and how we do it bears witness to the world around us. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And Jesus, in that sense, is God's epiphany, God's revelation to the world. But friends, you also are the light of the world. We're the light of the world. 
Church can be a, quite a beautiful place. So let's continue to bear witness to that together. Amen. Just want to invite us into a time of quiet. Again, just providing space. And in this time of, of quiet, I would just invite you to, if there's a word, a phrase, or an imagery that comes to you that God might give you, God wants to speak to you, just receive that. If there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with you, just rest in peace. That's okay. Jesus, we give you thanks this morning for this ragamuffin group of people that you call the church. We try and we try imperfectly, Lord. But we want to continue to, to stumble forward faithfully, keeping you at the center doing our best to love one another and love the world around us well. Lord, for those of us who have experienced pain at the hands of fellow followers of Jesus, I pray just for space and time for healing. I pray that this would be a place, Lord, this particular church family would be a place that could administer healing and hope to those who might have become jaded or given up on the church. And Lord, in our, in our life together, I pray that you would help us to be a witness to the world. Not only in how we treat one another, but as we rebuild a, a house as we host families, as we serve food to our communities. Lord, help us to bear witness to Christ to our world. I would invite the servers to come forward at this time, and I would invite us to pray the Lord's Prayer together as we prepare for communion. Would you join me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. <clears throat> 